If you're ready to be more productive and efficient in your mornings, listen up. Stop wasting time scrolling through endless articles online or getting lost in your email inbox trying to keep up with the day's news. Instead, listen to all the news you need in just about 10 minutes a day with the Newsworthy Podcast. Not only are we fast, we also focus on staying fair and factual. So if you want to be informed, not influenced, the Newsworthy is here for you. And because we cover a wide variety of stories from politics to tech to even entertainment, it's not just the doom and gloom stuff. Never feel uninformed, overwhelmed, or annoyed by the news again. Listen to one of the fastest growing daily news podcasts recommended by the likes of Harper's Bazaar and Podcast Magazine. In fact, Fast Company called the newsworthy 10 minutes of well-spent listening and said the tone is fair, effortless, friendly, and trustworthy. Simply search for The Newsworthy in your podcast app right now to subscribe and listen for free. Search for The Newsworthy to get fast, fair, fun news of the day with The Newsworthy. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. How you doing? Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. This is the only true democracy in a talk radio of four and by you, the people. Um, we have a great guest uh, joining us in a little bit. But first up, we like to check in and uh, tell you guys what's going on in the news. And let's start it off and check what is ripped. First up, this blew my mind when I saw it on Twitter today. I, I thought it was fake news, as they like to say, but sadly, it is not. Take a listen to our Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, when speaking to reporters today, refusing to acknowledge the victory of Joe Biden, former vice president and president-elect, and he says there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. What? Even, even though Republicans... Behind the scenes, I've told people like Senator Chris Coons, hey, congrats on your victory. We just can't say it out loud. Spineless. Let's take a listen. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right, we're, we're ready. The, the world is watching what's taking place here. We're going to count all the votes. When the process is complete, there'll be electors selected. There's a process. The Constitution lays it out pretty clearly. The world should have every confidence that the transition necessary to make sure that the State Department is functional today, successful today, and successful with the president who's in office on January 20th, a minute afternoon, will also be successful. I went through a transition on the front, and I've, I've been on the other side of this. I'm very confident that we will uh, do all the things that are necessary to make sure that the, the government, the United States government, will continue to perform its national security function as we go forward. So you believe there's widespread voter fraud, that the reports that we're getting from Pennsylvania, from Michigan, showing vote totals in massive leads or significant leads, with 99% reporting, are going to be overturned and that the United States failed to conduct a fraudulent free election? Rich, I'm the Secretary of State. I'm getting calls from all across the world. These people are watching our election. 
They understand that we have a legal process. They understand that this takes time, right? It took us 37 plus days in an election back in 2000. We conducted a successful transition then. I'm very confident that we will count and we must count every legal vote. We must make sure that any vote that wasn't lawful ought not be counted. That dilutes your vote if it's done improperly. We've got to get that right. When we get it right, we'll get it right. We're, we're, we're in good shape. When we get it right, just let me know that's ending, Marky Mark. <laughs> uh, when we get it right, uh, you, what I'm hearing is only if we get the results we want, because that's what we're hearing uh, from the courts. Uh, you cannot just have a lawsuit and claim fraud when you have no evidence. Th th this is just blowing my mind. And why didn't any reporter, I'm sorry, really, you know, come on, where are your cojones out there, people? You know, people in politics and people in the media. Why didn't you ask, what do you mean there'll be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration? Are you as Secretary of State of the United States telling foreign leaders, telling foreign leaders that are our allies that this is not an accurate election? Let me just be clear. In Maricopa County, <clears throat> excuse me, in, Mar in Maricopa County, uh, in Arizona, right? Is that is that the county I'm talking about? I, I, I can't even, I'm getting them all confused now. Georgia, Arizona. Huh? In Arizona, if that's what you're asking about. Yes. I don't know if it's Arizona. I tweeted it out earlier. There is one county where they are questioning 180 votes, even though Joe Biden has a lead by almost 15,000. That's good. That's Maricopa County. Okay. The largest county in Arizona where Phoenix is right. 180 votes. Do it. By the way, these were votes that were thrown out because they weren't signed. They weren't filled out properly. And even if all of them are allowed back in one, you don't know they'd all be for Trump. They may all be for Biden giving them 180 more Two, even if that's the case. And it won't be. But even if that's the case, 180 is not going to change almost 15,000. It's just not going to happen. And even if they could change Pennsylvania with Arizona and Nevada, Joe Biden is president of the United States with Pennsylvania alone, even with North Carolina, Donald Trump is not. And Georgia is probably going to go to Joe Biden after a, a, a recount because recounts have never resulted in a presidential election having the state switch and the outcome of the election switch as well. Let's rip another. Well, the guy that's having the calm in the storm and acting presidential is the true president-elect. Joe Biden is downplaying our current president, Donald Trump's refusing to concede. Take a listen to the presidential-elect, former Vice President Joe Biden. Thank you, Mr. President-elect. During the campaign, you said you were not naive about how difficult it would be to unite the country. It's now three days after you were projected as the president-elect. The president himself says he has won this election. His own administration has not moved forward to give you access to what you need to do to begin the work of your transition. Just a few minutes ago, the Secretary of State, when asked if he would cooperate, with a smooth transition, he said there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. I wonder if you have a message for the president who may well be watching right now 
And how do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Well, first of all, uh, we are already beginning the transition. We're well underway. And uh, the ability uh, for uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. We've announced yesterday, as you know, the health group that we put together today. We're going to be going moving along in a, in a consistent manner, putting together our administration, the White House, and reviewing who we're going to pick for the cabinet positions. And nothing's going to stop that. And, uh, and so I'm confident that uh, the fact that they're not willing to acknowledge we won at this point is uh, not of much consequence in our planning and what we're able to do between now and January 20th. Again, uh, let's listen to uh, the president-elect, Joe Biden. On the Senate majority leader newly elected to the Senate, Chuck Schumer remains minority leader until hopefully in January we can switch that. It's going to be tough, but let's see. Uh, here's Joe Biden, president-elect, on Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, refusing to recognize his win. And by the way, these are two guys that have worked together for years and are actually friends. Uh, Mitch McConnell has said he would be open to working with Joe Biden and a Joe Biden administration unless things are too radical left, because Mitch McConnell also knows, like Lindsey Graham, no finer man has God made. Let's take a listen. Mr. President-elect, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has suggested today that he may not recognize the outcome of this election until the Electoral College meets next month. Have you spoken to your longtime uh, friend in the Senate, Mr. McConnell, and what do you make of his specific comments over the last 24 hours? I haven't had a chance to speak to Mitch. Uh, my expectation is that I will do that in not too distant future. Um, I think that uh, the whole Republican Party has been put in a position with a few notable exceptions of uh, um, being uh, mildly intimidated by the sitting president. Um, but there's only one president at a time. He's president. Uh, we're going to have the Electoral College. We'll be making their judgment uh, in December. It'll be announced in early January. Uh, but in the meantime, I hope to get a chance to speak to Mitch. Well, that is former um, vice president and soon to be our next president, President-elect Joe Biden. Look, he knows how the deal goes, right? I mean, he was very tempered in his words, you know, which is basically like, look, they're towing the party line. They're kissing the ass of their current leader. Uh, they're doing what they have to do and what they need to do. Um and uh, that they're intimidated. Can I just can I just say something here? What are all these people who are kissing the ass of Donald Trump going to do when he is no longer president? Because he will no longer be president by the end of January or two thirds into January. He will no longer be president. And what are they going to do? Do they think that he's going to just hire all of them and appoint all of them? He's firing people now. The RNC is firing people now. So I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it. I hope you sleep well at night. I hope it was worth it. I honestly, 
I could never. I don't care what my party is. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy and Talk. Let's do our second uh, segment of Ripped from the headlines. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, said he believes a new breakthrough coronavirus vaccine could be available to the most vulnerable populations before the end of the year, if all goes smoothly through the final stages. By the way, he's been saying this for months. Uh, quote, they're going to dot all the I's across all the T's, but I believe in the impressive nature of the data that should go through smoothly, that uh, by the time we get to December, we'll be able to have doses available for people who are judged to be at the highest priority to get it first. That's what Fauci said during an appearance on MSNBC today. Now, the pharmaceutical giant, you've probably heard the news out that Pfizer announced yesterday that it and German partner BioNTech have developed a COVID-19 vaccine that is 90% effective based on early test results. That, by the way, must still receive full approval from independent researchers at the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Pfizer is expected to apply for emergency approval from the FDA later this month. Now, the Trump administration promised to fast track the approval process to expedite efforts to end the pandemic that has killed nearly 240,000 people in our nation so far this year. Now, cases are continuing to rise. We're having uh, record numbers of infections. Uh, once again, experts have warned the cold weather forcing more people indoors would only amplify possibly, sadly, the infection rate. Now, Fauci is a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. He's been director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. When he said he would take the vaccine himself, advises family members to do so if it receives full approval. He said, quote, I trust Pfizer. I trust the FDA. These are colleagues of mine for decades. They are career scientists. Fauci has frequently been at odds with the president during the pandemic. The president recently suggested that he pushed for Fauci's ouster after the election during a rally in Florida in the final days of the campaign. If you remember, Trump supporters shouted fire Fauci, prompting the president to slyly respond, quote, don't tell anybody, but let me wait until a little bit after the election. Major news networks and the Associated Press have projected the Democratic rival Joe Biden beat Trump last week in the election. Official results are pending those final tallies. And the president can't directly fire Fauci, by the way. He's not a presidential appointee. The president could put pressure on members of his administration to oust the doctor. Um, and, and, and this is what Trump said. He's been wrong a lot. This was at November 2nd at that rally. He's a nice man, though. He's been wrong on a lot. Biden, meanwhile, has defended Fauci from Trump's attacks. After the Florida rally, Biden tweeted that the country needed a president who actually listens to experts like Dr. Fauci. And on MSNBC, Fauci continued and said he hopes that he isn't removed from his post. He said, quote, I don't think it would be helpful to the common goal of all of us. We all want this pandemic to end. Every minute of my life right now is devoted to trying to end this pandemic. So I would hope that I'm allowed to continue to do that. I think I do it well. I've been doing it many, many years, and I've done it under many different circumstances, including six administrations. So to me, I'm focused like a laser beam on the job I have in ending this epidemic. Now, as the nations continue to see cases rise, uh, Fauci said cases could continue to spike in the coming weeks here in the United States. Quote, 
I think it's pretty clear what's happening. Whenever you have a respiratory-borne illness and you enter into the cooler months of the fall and cold months of winter, you do more things indoors as opposed to outdoors. That's just another added ingredient to the risk. Health experts have advised people to wear masks and other face coverings to try to prevent the spread of the disease, a position that has evolved as more research has been conducted on the novel uh, novel coronavirus. And Fauci said that new research out this week makes an even stronger case for masks, whereas experts have pitched masks as a mitigation effort to protect others. Fauci said it now appears that mask wearers also protect themselves by using face coverings. He said, quote, recent studies have shown it's both ways now. It's a two-way street. And may I add, uh, for, uh, 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 President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are all over social media and at press conferences encouraging people to wear masks. And Joe Biden is on the phone with governors from each state seeing if they'd be open to a mask mandate state by state so he doesn't have to do it on a federal level or he can do it in conjunction with governors. And by the way, he's talking to governors in both red and blue states, not just red states, as our current president does. Let's rip another. Joe Biden's transition team is warning that it may take legal action if the General Services Administration fails to make an official determination that Biden has indeed won the election. The GSA administrator, Emily Murphy, who is a Trump political appointee and would seem a Trump loyalist, has not made the declaration a so-called ascertainment. Uh, That would allow officials from Biden's agency, their review teams, to access information they need in order to get to work. Now, there's a number of levers on the table and all options are certainly available. That's what Biden's transition official told reporters. Also continuing, it's a changing situation and certainly rather fluid. The Presidential Transition Act governs how the outgoing administration is required to cooperate with the incoming one, smoothing the way for a peaceful transfer of power. Most official GSA ascertainments have been made within 24 hours of an election, except for 2000. In that electoral contest, when the outcome in Florida was down to 500 votes. This is not 500 votes. This is thousands, state by state. Georgia, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, are all, and, and Wisconsin and Michigan are all states, the president questions, and all of those states, um, the, 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 uh, the president-elect is leading uh, by more than 10,000 votes except for Georgia. So, it, you know, this is... The fat lady is on the stage with the mic in the hand, okay? She's just going to switch it on. Or she switched it on, but the Trump administration has taken the plug out of the wall. Now, absent a GSA declaration, the incoming administration does not have access to agencies to look at the non-public books, and that slows their ability to change policy direction. They don't have access to office space, computers, mobile phones. They don't have access to $6.3 million in appropriated funds. They don't have access to classified information or secured facilities to review it. And the ability to request security clearances or background checks for potential cabinet nominees, they don't have that either. This threatens our national security going forward and the ability to combat this virus quicker. Shame on this body. Let's rip another. A team of 28 international observers from the Organization of American States, the OAS, issued a preliminary report in which it praised last week's election while criticizing baseless allegations of systematic fraud, according to the Wall Street Journal. And I must say the OAS was invited by the Trump administration. 
Uh, they were deployed in battleground states. They say it did not witness any irregularities that would suggest an intervention in the elections. They also note that the attempts to stop the count in battleground states were clear examples of intimidation of electoral officials. President Trump is refusing to concede the race to President-elect Joe Biden. He continues to make baseless claims about widespread voter fraud. It is critical, however, that candidates act responsibly by presenting and arguing legitimate claims before the courts, not unsubstantiated or harmful speculation in the public media. That's what the report said. The team of observers monitored the election from October 23rd to November 7th, and on Election Day, members of the mission were present at polling places in Georgia, Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, and the District of Columbia, and they observed the process from the opening of the polling centers through the close of the polls and the deposit of voting materials with the appropriate local authorities, according to the report. Members of the mission also visited, visited tabulation centers to observe the tallying of the results, and in the jurisdictions that it observed, the mission found that the day progressed in a peaceful manner. That's what's here from the headlines. I'm Leslie Marshall, coming up, great guest and more with you right after this. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hey there, we're back on Leslie Marshall's second half of the show, and we have back with us Jessica Levinson. She's a professor at Loyola Law School founding director of Loyola's Public Service Institute and host of the Passing Judgment podcast. It's awesome. I've been lucky to be a guest uh, on there. Uh, Jessica's uh, Twitter handle is at Levinson Jessica, L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-J-E-S-S-I-C-A. The handle for her podcast is at Pass Judgment Pod. Uh, and uh, Jessica and I have become uh, friends on Twitter uh, once again uh, and, uh, I think, uh, we having some technical issues, uh, we'll get to her in a minute or is she there? The attorney general, thank you. Thank you. Attorney general William Barr, uh, appeared yesterday to make a bid to reassure backers of president Donald Trump who have complained bitterly in recent, recent days that the justice department was not taking action to combat alleged voter fraud and other election irregularities. In a memo to U.S. attorneys, Barr authorized them to open election fraud investigations, quote, if there are clear and apparently credible allegations of irregularities that, if true, could potentially impact the outcome of a federal election in an individual state, end quote, in that memo. But here's the thing. There's been no evidence. And we're going to talk, because I'm not an attorney, uh, we are going to talk with Jessica Lev Levinson, uh, who's a professor at Loyola Law School uh, and an, an attorney. And, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line um, is, uh, the, the bottom line is, I don't know if you're asking me that or her. I'm getting confused <laughs> by the messages. Okay, thank you. Uh, the bottom line here is this is unprecedented. Um, and the reason it's unprecedented is this has just not been done before. I mean, what kills me is I have always said that, and, and people question, is Attorney General William Barr, Bill Barr, is his allegiance to the Constitution of the United States as the attorney for Attorney General for the United States? Or does he consider himself and act and conduct himself like the private attorney for the president? 
is this allegiance to Donald J. Trump. And I would say from all of the actions that he has shown, it would seem so. Well, I'm glad to have back a little technical glitch there, but we have her back. Jessica Levinson, professor at Loyola Law School, founding director of Loyola's Public Service Institute, and as I said, the host of the Passing Judgment podcast. Jessica, good to have you with us. Good afternoon. You've got me holding my iPhone, so we're real low tech here, but... Hey, hey, hey you always got to have a plan B. I'm glad that I'm glad that we didn't lose you as a as a result. I was just saying before the um, before we connected uh, about uh, the attorney general yesterday uh, uh, making a bid to reassure backers of Trump who've complained bitterly in recent recent days when the Department of Justice wasn't taking action. And, and he put that memo to U.S. attorneys. Um, just a few things. One, um, you know, they're, I'm a Democrat, and there are those on my side of the aisle that have been saying, and myself as well, is is this guy is this guy attorney general and a lawyer for the United States of America, or is he a private attorney for the president because he seems to have allegiance to Donald Trump and not the Constitution? A, would you agree with that? And B, how unprecedented is this? Uh, yes and very, and I can expand on that, but Absolutely. You know, it's remarkable to think of how efficient and effective Attorney General Barr has been for Donald Trump, not for the American public, but for Donald Trump. And, you know, for your viewers to take a step back and think about the first attorney general was Jeff Sessions. And it's hard to believe that Jeff Sessions was actually the one who followed the letter of the law more. And when Attorney General Barr was tapped, a lot of people thought, well, he's been attorney general before. He's an adult. He's going to know how to handle this situation. And I have been so disappointed because at every turn, he has shown himself to be so loyal to President Trump, such an effective advocate for President Trump. But again, not for the American people. He's not the president's personal attorney. Think back to one of his very first acts, which was to mischaracterize the Mueller report. He put out that summary which was not a summary. Bob Mueller had to take the unprecedented step of saying, look, that's not what I said. And at almost every turn, he has been there supporting President Trump's, I would say, worst impulses. And now, you know, unfortunately, it's something that it should have been one of those improbable election nightmares, but it really fell within our probable category, which is, um, you know, one of the things I wrote on my bingo card was Attorney General Barr says we need to open an investigation into voter fraud and there won't be voter fraud and it'll be baseless, but um, but it'll be there. And this is, a, I'm sorry, Leslie, a very long answer to and is it unprecedented? Yes, we've seen attorney generals be loyal to presidents, but not like this and not in a way that frankly, um, you know, it again, that frankly is peddling lies. I just don't know how to say it. Otherwise, there is no evidence of voter fraud. There's no substantiated claims. Um, this memo had such a dramatic impact that the veteran career official running the Justice Department branch that oversees such prosecutions stepped down from his post effective immediately. He was not fired. He, he left. And Barr has acknowledged that this instruction departed from usual uh, Department of Justice practice. Uh, he can't really launch a full-scale investigation. Well, first of all, the election result has not been certified because everybody wants to play to the emperor with no clothes and not tell him he's naked. Um, but Barr 
um, you know, he, he said, look, he's not launching a full scale investigation into allegations of such fraud or taking overt investigative steps until after the election results are certified. But one of the other reasons he's not is because there's no evidence, right? I mean, this this blows my mind. I said it earlier. You can't just go to court and allege fraud without evidence because you don't like the outcome of the election. And it's clear that's what's going on here. And I'm sorry I'm so passionate about this. But look, Donald Trump's campaign is not arguing North Carolina. Donald Trump's campaign is not arguing Florida. Donald Trump's campaign... He's only arguing states that he won before and is losing now. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, and possibly, looking likely, uh, Georgia. So as an attorney, we've seen a lot of lawsuits get tossed out. Um, you know, now, now, I mean, it's just lawsuits upon lawsuits. Uh, let, let's break it down a little bit. Um, one, Michigan, there seems to have been some faulty equipment. That can happen in elections. It does happen in elections. Uh, there are sorting machines. There's paper ballots. There's people who are, uh, you know, putting their votes in as, as I did electronically. Um, I, I guess without going state by state, how likely is it that any of these lawsuits have teeth? I understand in Maricopa County, they're talking about 180 votes when the vice uh, the president-elect is ahead by nearly 15,000. Uh, in Michigan, um, they they rectified the situation. In Nevada... The question that they had involved military who are overseas but have addresses in that state. And then in Pennsylvania, um, there have been two Supreme Court rulings, one allowing them to accept the ballots postmarked or delivered by Election Day up until I think it's what, November 13th or November 13th in South Carolina. And two, those ballots have already been separated per a second Supreme Court decision Um does this just delay? I mean, is this is it just a delay tactic? Because from where I stand, I'm not an attorney. You are. So I ask for your expertise. Is there any possibility that any of these will flip a state, never mind the election? I, I think the answer is no. So it's such a good question. And, you know, this is what I've been talking about for a few days now. So the um, the answer is, the punchline is no. We don't have that type of Bush versus Gore perfect storm. And why don't we? We don't because the election isn't coming down to one state and the election isn't coming down to one case in that state with enough ballots to flip the state. So you need those two things. Or you need, frankly, that it comes down to two states and you have two cases that are big enough that involve enough ballots in each of those states where it can flip the outcome in both states. That's not what we see here. We see, um, excuse me, we see kind of two flavors of lawsuits. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how much time we have to talk about it, but just super briefly. Well, you know, 90 minutes to break, but we can talk about on the other side of the break, too, because I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So, so one super minute now to break. So. Um, it's there's the two buckets are basically the typical lawsuits, you know, that can we have a recount in Georgia? Yes, because if you're within the margin, you can. Can we have a recount in Wisconsin? Yes, we can. And then what we could talk about after the break, if you want, is the not typical lawsuits, the one we're seeing, the ones that we're seeing from President Trump. And that's why his legal team, I think as of this morning, is zero and 10 in these lawsuits. I mean, that's a terrible loss win ratio. And I, you know, again, for people who are listening and concerned, I do not think that these suits are going to change the outcome of the election. Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be back. 
Um, uh, when we come back, we'll, you know, we can dig uh, deeper to the non-conventional lawsuits and uh, uh, talk about that confidence that you have. Because let's be honest, Joe Biden doesn't need Pennsylvania to be president. The Constitution is clear. That magic number is 270. He reaches that with Arizona and Nevada. He doesn't need Georgia and Pennsylvania. We'll be back right after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. We are talking with our guest, Jessica Levinson, professor at Loyola Law School, founding director of Loyola's Public Service Institute and host of the Passing, Ju- Passing Judgment podcast. Great podcast. Uh, listen to it. I've been a, a part of it. It was very enjoyable. She's really good at what she does. Jessica's Twitter handle, follow her there at Levinson Jessica. And the handle for the podcast is at Pass Judgment Pod. Jessica, thank you for holding. Welcome back. We were talking about Attorney General Barr. Um, giving an okay for election fraud investigation. It's roiled uh, not just the Justice Department, um, but also attorneys like yourself as well. Allegedly, the law firms, the two representing Donald Trump, are uncomfortable about some of these suits uh, in some of these states because, once again, you can't just bring suit alleging fraud uh, without evidence. So before the break, we were talking about the record of, you know, 0 for 10 by the Trump administration, um, I mean, what, if you were a lawyer on, you know, on this team, do you just like play along cause it's your client and is this just meant to stall and delay the inevitable here? No, I mean, the legal system should not work as just trying to add the veneer of legitimacy to political arguments. So what would I do? I mean, I hope that I would do what this career department of justice official did, which is just to say, I'm out, nothing's worth this. And um, I have friends who have worked with him and said that, you know, there's nobody who has higher integrity in the Department of Justice. And the fact that he said, I'm leaving when Attorney General Barr announced that, you know, paved the way for an investigation just speaks volumes about whether or not there's a there there, which is the answer is there's not. You know, I mean, you asked such a good question and we were talking about that there's two flavors of these post-election litigation suits now. There's the typical flavor, again, the recount in Wisconsin, the recount in Georgia. And then there's what you just asked me about, which is the lawsuits that seem to be frankly just trying to play to an audience of one and placate the president and say to the president, you know, we'll do everything we can. We'll give you kind of a soft landing out and we'll say that we fought really hard. The reason that I think we're not seeing, at least until at this point, attorney sanctions or anything like that, is that the arguments that are being made outside of the courtroom are actually different than the ones that are being made in the papers, the ones that attorneys are signing under penalty of perjury. And so while outside the courtroom, we're seeing, you know, people screaming about voter fraud and that it lacks the the election lacks integrity. What we're seeing inside the courtroom is that the allegations are actually a little bit more arcane and frankly, not as salacious. It's more, we didn't get meaningful access to watch the people counting the votes instead of there's voter fraud or the way that you allowed people to cure votes was not fair to other people. Again, that's not voter fraud. So we are seeing this distinction between what's being said and then what's actually being filed in the courtroom, at least some of the time. Uh, After uh, Barr released his directive, 
Um, I spoke about the director of the DOJ Criminal Division's uh, election crime branch, Richard Pilger. He actually sent e an email to his colleagues saying that he was transferring to another role in the department. And he made it clear um, that his exit was prompted by Barr's policy. Um, his email called the edict, as it was from Barr, an important new policy abrogating the 40-year non-interference policy of ballot fraud investigations in the period prior to elections becoming certified and uncontested. He went on to say, having familiarized myself with the new policy and its ramifications, I must regretfully resign from my role as director of the elections crimes branch. He said, I have enjoyed very much working with you for over a decade to aggressively, uh, uh, to uh, aggressively, sorry, my screen went up there. Where am I? Uh, to uh, aggressively and diligently enforce federal criminal election law policy in practice without partisan fear um, or uh, favor. Um, and this was uh, posted online uh, by Vanita Gupta, who actually served in that position in the uh, Obama administration. The wording of this memo, I think, is key, right? Because the wording of this memo left unclear whether it was um, largely just bar kissing up to the president and his supporters, um, or, or whether it really lends to serious investigations uh, in these last weeks uh, before election and transfer of power uh, from Joe Biden being declared the winner and Donald Trump, you know, uh, outgoing. Um, again, the attorney general has done this without any evidence based on the wording of the memo how do you take it? How would you take it if you were in that department? I, I think, frankly, it's a part of a larger theme that we've been seeing for almost four years now, which is that the political appointees who are part of the Department of Justice have the schism with the career members of the Department of Justice, the public servants. And that's the story. That's the backdrop against which I see this. I see the attorney general breaking norms. I see the attorney general, again, interfering in the election where you really are supposed to have some separation, some independence. I see the attorney general peddling these falsehoods, frankly, because I think people are just trying to make President Trump comfortable with what's going to be the inevitable. And then I see people who have joined the Department of Justice who are career federal prosecutors and saying, I don't want to be part of this. And think back you know, to the census case where we saw this division in the Department of Justice and there were career politicians who said, excuse me, career um, members of career federal prosecutors who said, you know what, I, I have to step away. I don't want to sign these papers anymore. I don't want to be part of this case. And I think that we saw it with respect to some of the immigration policies. I think that we saw it with respect to some of the defense of um, the travel ban. And it's part, so what I see this is as part of a continuation where we didn't used to see this break where people who were career federal prosecutors were saying, I have, I have to either leave the department entirely or I have to have a new assignment because I'm not comfortable with the direction that this is going. Um, and it's, you know, I know that, Leslie, you've been talking about this and it just bears repeating that. It's very dangerous to keep saying you can't trust the election results. No, that was how I was going to, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because that was another question I was going to ask is this action by the Department of Justice fans the flames of insecurity and questioning the legitimacy of our elections. And in a sense, it could hurt Republicans in the Senate races in Georgia because Republicans might say, I'm not going to vote because it's 
it, it's uh, it's fixed. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I mean, there's so many reasons why we should view falsehoods about voter fraud as hurting all Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, if there was voter fraud, first of all, where's the evidence? And second, it doesn't make any sense because Republicans actually did fine in the Senate. Republicans actually did more than fine in the House in some cases, picking up some seats. And Republicans in down-ballot races also did fine. So you'd have to buy into these wild conspiracy theories that only the presidential um election was changed and that somehow there was this concerted effort among nameless, faceless people who we don't know. And that the bipartisan group of people who count ballots, that this bipartisan group of volunteers, of election board members, that they all kind of got together and said, how many votes do we have to actually get in these states to make it look legitimate? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, and and honestly, if Democrats were cheating, we would have won more House seats and certainly won the Senate. I was going to ask you about Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, but I'm not going to. One, the audio is like a minute and a half in length. And two, it's not that's more political than legal. But let's get to something that is legal. And that is the Supreme Court uh, with regard to the Affordable Care Act. It appears likely they're going to save most of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, two members of the court, which has a conservative majority, Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh, have suggested they're unlikely to throw out the entire health care law, as uh, the Trump administration and Republican attorneys who are them have urged um, their votes uh, would be enough to uh, save it. Um, are, are, a, are you surprised? One, do you feel that they are, in a sense, forecasting that with what they've said thus far? B, are you surprised? Um, no, I think that they are forecasting that. I listened to oral arguments a little bit in and out because I was doing some other things at the same time this morning. But I listened, and I think that at least six to seven members of the court are about where they should be, which is the individual mandate that says you have to buy health care insurance or else, because there's no more penalty, it can't be viewed as a tax, it's probably unconstitutional. The rest of it, I think a majority of the court will say, you can sever it, you can let the rest of the Affordable Care Act stand. And you know the punchline here is, we shouldn't leave this up to the court. Congress should act and fix. We have elected officials for well, a reason. Well, didn't Justice Roberts say this isn't like, you know, our, you know, ours ours to decide? We are 30 seconds away from the end of the show. We will definitely have you back, Jessica. I really enjoy it. I told you I've watched you myself on, you know, television channels. So I'm like, oh, hey, I know. I know Jessica. Uh, Jessica Levinson is professor at Loyola Law School, founding director of Loyola's Public Service Institute, host of the Passing Judgment podcast. On Twitter, follow her at Levinson. Jessica and follow her podcast at Past Judgment Past Judgment Pod. Listen to it as well. Uh, Jessica, thank you for taking the time because I know you're you're doing more media than I am these days. And more power to you, girl. And we'll have you back. And uh, glad that we got into each other's uh, lives once again and uh, that we chat on Twitter. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you so much. 2020 took a different path than we expected but it definitely didn't slow our pace. Planet M has helped private and public entities work together to advance the future of mobility technology along a challenging course. Working together has been the key to staying on the right path. So whether you're just getting started or already an industry leader, Planet M is your connection to Michigan's mobility ecosystem and our future. If you're ready to make a move with your business, see how we can help at planetm.com slash pure hyphen partnership. Want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.